You guys know how to sing. And you know how to usher, too. Fifteen of you jumped up, I think, when there weren't ushers in the back. It's an honor to be here with you. If you haven't opened your Bible yet, open it up. This is a failure. If you think that this is coming from me, that would be a failure. So if you've got a device, pull it up, John 6, 60 through 71. If you've got your physical copy, turn there so that we can see for ourselves what Jesus has to say. That's so important. Let's pray. Father, we sang that we need you. That is more true than any of us knows, and perhaps any of us will ever know. From beginning to end, we need you. From top to bottom, we need you. There's no life apart from you. So would you go with us? That's what we're asking. Like Moses says to you, Lord, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. So would you this morning do the work that only you can do? Please, let this not be a work of the flesh. But would you work by the Spirit, we ask through the precious name of Jesus, who purchases it all for us. Amen. You cannot believe unless the Spirit brings your dead soul to life. You can't come to Jesus. You can't believe in Him unless it is granted by the Father. That's the message in this text. It's Jesus' message. And the people he's preaching to don't want to hear it. He's the greatest preacher who ever lived. No one preaches better than this man. He starts with a crowd of thousands. I'm going to give a little context in a bit. But chapter 6, 15 Verse 15, he's fed 5,000 men. We know there are more people than that, women and children there. They're clamoring for him to be king. We want this guy to be our king. They can't find him. He's across the sea in Capernaum. They rush over there, and so he preaches. And when he's done, there are 12 left, maybe a few more. Who preaches like that? You know any preachers who preach like that? The only preachers who whittle a crowd of thousands down to 12 are bad preachers. And this man is the greatest preacher who ever lived. He preaches the truth in love. He doesn't preach like a salesman. Think about this. Most preachers, if thousands are coming to listen, are going to say whatever they can say to keep the crowds or grow the crowds. But Jesus didn't come to sell you anything. He came to give you life, real life. He came so that your worship would be real. That's what he wants. He wants real 
worship. And that means you have to know how desperately you need him. That's where it starts. You need to know how great the extent of your salvation is if you're going to enjoy the life that he has brought for you for all it is. That's Jesus' agenda for this text. It's to expose how needy and helpless you and I are and how great the Father, the Spirit, the Son's work is in meeting our needs. God alone deserves the praise for any spiritual life you have. It's going to be true of you when you get to heaven. You get zero claim on any spiritual good in your life. He deserves all the credit. The crowd that's listening to Jesus would not accept that they were helpless and needy. And they would not accept a God who had to overcome their unbelief. They wouldn't have it. And so they walked away from the fountain of living waters. They walked away from the bread of life. I hope you won't. Knowing how lost you are, knowing the extent that God had to go to save you, is not icing on the cake. You know what I mean? When you have a cake, you can eat it without any icing on it, right? Icing is just little extra sweet stuff that we put on top of something that's already really sweet. That's not what this is. Knowing the extent that God has gone to save you is not icing on the cake. It's fuel for your worship, and that's what you were made for. You were made to worship, and that's why Jesus cares. You'll you'll notice if you read this text, Jesus, I said this to Steve on the phone yesterday, he's like a dog on a bone. You know what I mean? He won't let go. He won't let go of the fact that God alone deserves credit, and he does. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a little context. What's going on? We're starting at the very end of Jesus' sermon in chapter 6. So we're going to start with some context. What's been happening? What's this all about? What's going on? Then we're going to see Jesus point out to the crowds how desperate our problem of unbelief is. So we're going to see, how big's our problem? And then Jesus is going to make it clear that our only hope in overcoming this unbelief is if God does it. The Spirit does it through the words of Jesus because the Father has granted it. That's what we're going to see. That's the main thing we're going to see today. And then at the end, through Peter, we're going to see what real belief looks like. So that's what we're doing. Here's some context. So I told you already, at the start of this chapter, Jesus feeds 5,000 people from five loaves of bread and two fish. He's essentially got an army ready. It's 5,000 men, and they want to make him king. But he's not going to be that kind of king. So he withdraws. He goes across the lake. You know how he gets across the lake? He walks. The crowd doesn't know where he went, so they search all over the place. They find him in Capernaum, and they have a conversation with him because they want him to keep doing what he was doing. They want more bread. They bring up Moses. Don't you remember when Moses was around? People had bread every day. 
You want to do that for us? And Jesus says, no. I'm the bread. I'm the bread of life. You need to feed on me. He says, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He's saying, my sacrifice for your sins, that's food for your souls. It's way better than getting manna every day. Because this kind of food and drink lasts forever. But they don't want it. They know that he performed this miracle. So, so you might think, okay, why don't they believe? Well, they do, kind of. They know he did the miracle. They know he's powerful. They want him to be their king. But they don't trust him. They don't listen to the words he says. And that's crucial. That's their unbelief. And so Jesus points it out to them. He points out how desperate their unbelief problem is and our unbelief problem is as well. Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And I just want to point out to you, it says his disciples. It's not talking about the 12 disciples, but it's also not talking about the Pharisees. I mean, these are people who are following him around. And they're listening to what he's saying about being bred from heaven and we've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And they're saying, nah, this is not what we wanted. We want a king, but not like that. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. Look at verse 61. Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending, that means going back up to heaven, to where he was before? So in other words, you're offended. You don't believe in me. What if you saw me go back up into heaven? Would you believe then? He's asking a rhetorical question. Do you know what a rhetorical question is? That was a rhetorical question. Is when you ask a question and you're not expecting an answer, you're going to give the answer. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, would you believe if you saw the Son of Man go back up into heaven from where he came? And he gives his answer in verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Not, not a little help. No help. Follow Jesus' thinking here. Got to use your brains. He knows this crowd saw the miracle. They saw him feed the 5,000. They don't believe what he says, even though they saw something absolutely amazing, godlike, even. They know he healed an official son in that same city, Capernaum. They could go down the street to Cana where he turned water into wine. They know he healed a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. Do they just need a little more evidence to get over the hump? Is that what they need? It's a little more evidence. They need a little more proof from Jesus. 
Would they be able to believe if they just saw another miracle, just one more? How about Jesus going back up into the sky? Would that be enough? Would that give them the power to believe? No. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. These people's problem is not that they need more evidence. We all think, sure, our flesh is weak, but a little more evidence from you, God, and belief would be easier, right? We think that, don't we? We get it. Their problem is that their souls are dead and they will not believe in him no matter how many miracles he does. That's their problem. They need the spirit of God to make them alive. Jesus is like a good doctor. If you go to a doctor with a headache, a bad headache, a good doctor's not just going to look at your head, are they? They're going to ask a lot about your diet and stress, and they're going to check other places as well. These people think they have a headache. They think they have an evidence problem. But Jesus, like a good doctor, is pointing out, actually, it's coming from here. You've got a heart problem, not an evidence problem. These people are offended, not because Jesus hasn't given them enough evidence. He has. They're offended because they don't like what he's saying, and they won't, no matter how many miraculous things they see him do. That's the deepest reason people don't trust God. You can get personal with this. That's the deepest reason none of us trust God. Or those unbelievers you're praying for, the deepest reason is that they don't want him. We want to live for ourselves. We want the things of this world. We want to be independent. We want what we want. That's our problem. It's not just a head problem. It's first a heart problem. This is why signs and wonders aren't enough. Now, the apostles do amazing things. Jesus obviously does amazing things. The apostles pray, accompany our word with signs and wonders, God, do it. But they're not enough, are they? Because you can put on an amazing show in front of a crowd, but if it's a bunch of corpses, they're not going to see anything. We will not want him That's how desperate our problem is. You see, that's what Jesus is saying. It's not just that we're sinners and we need someone to pay our debt, which is true, isn't it? It's the gospel. If you don't know what the good news of Christianity is, it's that we are sinners. You and I are sinners. And Jesus Christ, God, the son, he became a man to live for you and be crucified as a punishment for your sin. He'll be substituted for you if you trust him. That's the good news of Christianity. And guess what? That's yours as a gift if you believe.
Anybody in here want that? It's yours as a gift if you believe. But you won't believe unless the Spirit of God gives you life. Our only hope is that God steps in. That's Jesus' whole aim at the end of this sermon. That you would know your only hope in overcoming your hard-hearted resistance to him is that the Holy Spirit would give you life through the words of Jesus because the Father has granted it. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to start with the Spirit, then we're going to talk about the words of Jesus, and we're going to talk about the Father granting it. That's what we're going to do now. It's the bulk of this sermon. The Spirit. Let's talk about the Spirit. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Now, when Jesus says flesh here, he doesn't mean skin and muscle. That's not what he means by flesh. He means the powers of this world. Your own powers or any other powers in this world cannot give life to an unbelieving soul. That's an amazing claim. Follow Jesus' thinking. Again, he's telling them what they need in order to believe. It's not more evidence. They've got plenty. They need their dead souls to be brought to life. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Do you see that in the text? Only the Spirit can do that. Do you see how needy you are? Do you see how precious the Holy Spirit is? Holy Spirit is not irrelevant to your life. (laughs) He's precious. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Those words should hang over the entrance of every church. Those words, the Spirit gives life, the flesh is no help at all, should hang over the entryway of every home group. And those words should hang over every conversation you have with an unbeliever. Because if you're having coffee with an unbeliever and they believe, it's not because you served up the perfect plate of evidence. If any life happens in this room right now, is not because I'm too persuasive. If anything real and lasting happens in your home groups or Bible studies, it's not ultimately because you serve the right snacks, you burn just the right scented candle. It's because the Spirit of God stepped in. Now, our labors are doing things. God uses them, doesn't he? But... Our efforts are like placing wood on the altar. We can put wood on the altar, but we can't light the fire. God has to do that. The Spirit brings the fire. You and I can't. We can only arrange the wood around the altar. It matters that preachers prepare. It matters that home group leaders know how to lead a discussion. It matters that you bring evidence and Bible to your conversation with an unbeliever. But it's all wood that we're arranging on the altar. We cannot make the fire fall. Only the Spirit of God can. I can't convert you. I can't change your heart. 
Parents feel this, don't you? You can look in your kid in the face. They're right here. You just want to reach inside and change something, and you can't. You can't. We need the Spirit. I hope you know He can. I hope you know He can, and He does. Every day, the Spirit of God is taking dead souls and giving them life. Do you believe that? He does. He does. I hope that makes you dependent. I hope you think, oh, God, I can't make the fire fall. Please, please. And he loves to. It's what he does. Now let's talk about Jesus' words because look at what he says next. Verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. So notice the connections. You see any parallels there? Notice the connection between the Holy Spirit's work and the words of Jesus. He says, it's the spirit who gives life. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. I think what Jesus is telling us is this. You need the spirit to give your dead soul life. But the thing my, the, the Spirit uses to bring your dead soul to life are my words. I think that's what Jesus is saying. There's a tendency among some Christians to separate the Holy Spirit and truth. So either you're a Holy Spirit church or you're a truth church. You either rely on the Holy Spirit or you rely on the truth. Which one are you? It's a trick question. You're both. Both. Do you want the Spirit to work in your life? You want that? I do. I want that. It happens as you cling to this word. That's how it happens. That's how the Spirit works in your life. You want God to work in the life of an unbeliever? Put this word in front of them. This is how the Spirit gives life. It's through the words of Jesus in the Gospels and throughout his word. Jesus does not want to have people listening to him say, oh, the Spirit gives life, and then I believe. So I'm going to leave Jesus preaching right now. I'm going to go into my room, I'm going to shut the door, and I'm going to wait for the Spirit to tell me to believe in Jesus. And then I'll do it. He's saying, no, no, no. That happens as you listen to my words. It's an amazing truth. If you want the Spirit to give you life for the first time or for the 10,000th time, it will happen as you read this book and trust what it says. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It will happen as you read this word and trust it. That's how it happens. So treasure this word. It's how the Spirit gives life. Now, let's talk about the Father's role in all of this. Jesus adds, verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning 
who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. You might notice a problem here. It's the Spirit who gives life, and he gives life through the words of Jesus. But most of the people listening to him in chapter 6 don't believe. Does that mean that Jesus' ministry is a failure? His words are spirit and life. Spirit gives life. All these people are walking away. Is his ministry a failure? No, because verse 64 tells us that Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe, he knew who would betray him from the beginning. He's not surprised when people leave because he knew from the beginning who would leave. You can look down at verses 70 and 71. They say something similar. Verse 70, Jesus tells the 12, did I not choose you, the 12? So the crowds leave. The 12 are still around. They might be feeling pretty good. Sorry, Jesus, everybody else left, but not us. We didn't go anywhere. And Jesus saying, just remember, I chose you. And then he goes on to say, yet one of you is a devil. It's verse 71. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Jesus is not surprised. He's not anxious about the success of his ministry because he knows that his father has given Granted, do you see that word in verse 65? For people to come to him. And if the Father doesn't grant it, you won't come. But if the Father has, you will. If you've got your Bible open, you can just move your eyes up, almost 20 verses, to verse 37. I'm going to read verses 37 through 39. Jesus makes this point explicit, crystal clear. Verse 37, same sermon. All that the Father gives me, everyone that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Do you hear the chain link he's making here? Everyone the Father gives will come to me. And everyone who comes to me, I'll never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. He's saying every person that the father gives to me will come to me. And the father's given me a job. And it's to make sure that of those he gave to me, I lose none of them. But all of them are saved. Do you hear how rock solid that is? This is why Jesus is not an insecure preacher. 
He's the most secure man who ever lived because he's confident in his father. He knows that all the father has given will come to him. That doesn't keep him from preaching. Do you notice that? It's what he does. He goes from town to town preaching with confidence that everyone that the Father has given to him will come when they hear his words and the Spirit gives them life. That's how you have confidence in a ministry. It's believing that. We don't start our own salvation. We can't. It's not because we're in a prison. God's out there and we're, the bars are here and we're trying to get to him, embrace him, but we can't. That's not our situation. Our prison is that we're free and we don't want him. And we won't want him. No matter how he pleads or how kind he is to us over and over again, we've moved as far away from him as we could possibly go and we won't turn unless he walks over and turns us around. We would never turn from our sin unless the Father gives us to Jesus and the Spirit breathes on us. Do you see that's what Jesus is saying? Overcoming unbelief is the work of the Trinity. Father, Son, Spirit. Now just take a second. Jesus is radical here. Because we're going to see in the next verse, everyone leaves. He's watching what was crowds of thousands are moving away the more he talks. And you might think, Jesus, stop, stop. Why? They're leaving. Keep them around, man. It's because he wants the Holy Spirit to get the credit he's due. And he wants his father to receive the honor the father ought to have. That's what Jesus cares about. And guess what? That's not opposed to your happiness. Did you know that? God the Father getting the credit he deserves, the Spirit getting the credit he deserves is the pathway to your happiness. You knowing it, embracing it. That's how you have joy and life. The crowd has heard enough. They don't want to hear that the Father has to give them to Jesus so that we believe. They don't want to hear that their souls are dead and they need the Spirit to give them life. So verse 66 says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Time out. That's the definition of a tragedy. to look the bread of life in the eyes and walk away. To see the one who you were made for and say, no thanks. That's a tragedy. And so Jesus turns to the 12 and says, verse 67, do you want to go away as well? Take this question personally. Do you want to go? I hope that you're not too proud 
to confess your helplessness. I hope you're not too proud to see that the Father had to give you. The Spirit had to move to give you life. Because if you walk away, you're walking away from the only one who can give you life. Peter answers as he normally does and gives us a picture of what real belief looks like. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Jesus says, you want to go? Peter says, where would we go? (laughs) You have the words of eternal life. Notice, notice here, if you read John chapter 6, the rest of the crowds, they want bread. That's what they want from Jesus. Give us bread. And when he talks, they don't care. Peter says, your words. Where can we go to get those words? You are revealing to us God. What you say, you're showing us who God is. That's life. Where could we go? Where could we get better? We've come to believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. This is what real saving faith looks like. It's not proud, like, you know what? Jesus, I think I'll join your team. This church should be thankful to have me. I've felt that way before. Have you? The faster you follow Peter and lose hope that you can find life anywhere else, the faster you will find satisfaction in Jesus. Some of you are caught right now mid-chase some other direction for life. And if God is gracious, he will disabuse you of the notion that you can get better life somewhere else. It's here. It's with this man, Jesus. Believe him. By the way, all this talk of what God has to do, I think I'd fail If I didn't say, if you hear these words and your heart is saying, wow, I am needy. I want the words of eternal life. Believe. Believe. And if you do, you will be able to take a step back and say, that's because the Spirit worked on me. Do you want him? believe. Don't begrudge the fact that you're needy. Please don't run away from this Jesus because he says you're more helpless than you thought you were. And you need God even before you thought you needed God. Don't run away. He's the bread of life. Peter knows it. There's no salvation or lasting happiness anywhere else. This is what it means to be a Christian. It's recognizing 
that without him, you've got nothing. You shouldn't be afraid to admit that. Without Jesus, you have nothing. But with him, you have everything. That's what the Father is giving us. That's what the Spirit opens our eyes to see. Do you see it? Don't stifle your worship by minimizing your need. You know what I mean by that? Like Our needs are huge. Sometimes we feel like we got to squish them down. But when you minimize your needs, you're minimizing your worship. The greater you understand how much you need him, the greater lengths and depths he goes to save you, the more praise is due him. And that's where you will find life. It will make your worship desperately sweet. Do you see it? Let's stand together and I'll pray. Father, not one of us would turn from our chase of sin if you did not chase us down and give us to your son. There's not one of us who would choose the fountain of living water without the Spirit. Jesus, thank you for your words. I pray that you would make us people who treasure your word and that you fill us with the Spirit as we believe your word. I pray that by the Spirit, you would make us more and more needy, that we would see the greatness of our need, that we would not withhold from you worship that is due to you, but that we would enjoy you with all our hearts because from beginning to end, you're our Savior. And so we bless you. Would you help us worship now by the Spirit whom Jesus has purchased for us? And it's in his name we pray. Amen.